This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Welcome to the Best Friends Podcast. My name is John Dunn. Now let's say your organization normally has around 50 foster applications a month. Then, during a crisis, your community rallies and comes together. So the number of apps jumps just a bit. So in the first like two weeks of our stay-at-home order, it was um, over 1,500. And then I stopped counting because it was too overwhelming. <laughs> that is the superhuman Heather Owen from One Tale at a Time Dog Rescue in Chicago. I'm excited to share my conversation with Heather with you coming up. Quick reminder, bestfriends.org slash podcast. All of the episodes, information, links to subscribe, you'll find it all there, bestfriends.org slash podcast. One of the core values of the way we work at Best Friends is that there's no such thing as proprietary information. If we know a good idea, a good program, good way to save lives, increase donations, help animals medically, behaviorally, whatever it may be, you'll know because we're going to tell you. And sharing is so key today. The tidbits we can learn from each other might just be what allows us to keep moving forward. And to that end, we're going to be taking a look at some specific communities on the podcast. Communities of all sizes, different demographics, but the common thread will be that they are making this work. The approaches they are taking may just give you the ideas you need. So let's start with one of my favorite cities, Chicago the third biggest city in the country. It's right on beautiful Lake Michigan. You have the Chicago River winding through downtown, an incredible art scene, some of the best vegan food on planet Earth, and the people. It's that gritty, Midwestern, hardworking, no BS style. And man, they're proud to be Chicagoans. Some welcome news from Chicago Animal Care and Control. There are no dogs available for adoption right now. Last year at this time, we had almost 300 animals in the building, mostly dogs. That's Jenny Schleter, who works for Chicago Animal Care and Control. I am a public information officer, assistant to the director, and a program manager. As the effects from the pandemic started to become clear, CACC felt what every municipal shelter and rescue across the country did. Yeah, we were pretty nervous. You know, we're volunteers going to be able to come and help us because we rely on them to walk the dogs and to um, TLC the cats. And so we were scared. On top of that, the number of animals in care wasn't great. We had been having higher intake all year. You know, um, every single, you know, January, February, March intake had been up over last year and we were pretty crowded. Thankfully, an adoption event just ahead of everything shutting down reduced the population. They waived adoption fees, which also helped, but it would still take some coordination and effort. We have an amazing community, you know, people in Chicago and I think everywhere have really stepped up knowing that we don't know what's going to happen, right? People knew this, there's a true emergency happening. We put the call up for help. Our nonprofit partners came in droves to help. An organization called Fix Chicago is one of the groups that stepped up in a big way. The founder, Nicole Katraki, is tough. Anyone you ask who knows her will tell you that, but the COVID-19 pandemic has shown us all it doesn't matter how tough you are. When I heard that shelters across the nation would possibly be shutting down because of the virus, I cried. Like, I literally spent the night, curled up, and I bawled because nothing I could do. 
There was nothing I could do. Now, Nicole says she let that moment of helplessness pass and then got down to business. How can she and Fix Chicago help save lives? I can network. I can network dogs, you know, and I could build communities. And I, I'm good at that. You know, that's something I'm good at. So that's what I ended up doing. And that's like, it just, it, like it evolved organically in the Facebook group. She was planning to launch something new this summer and had created a Facebook group to support it. When COVID happened, that group transformed into something that was a community resource for first-time fosters, fosters, and potential adopters. I just started adding people, you know, and like, hey, we need new fosters. And I would just go on these community groups and just add people and promote and promote and grab all these people that wanted to help. The group is called Dog Foster Share Project, and it has 3,000 members. And if you just scan through the posts, man, it's awesome. Full of animal lovers from across Chicago land looking to do their part. Karen, she says she and her boyfriend recently bought a home with a big yard, so they'll take a dog that's good with cats. Or Jennifer, who says she's looking for a little dog and would love to help a senior. There are 30 rescue organizations leveraging the group. They're looking for fosters, and the comments on every post are full of people interested and stepping up. And the posts that always make my day are foster parents posting the success stories of their house guests heading to their new homes. I can't do everything, right? But like, this really inspired me in a really strange way. COVID-19, it inspired me because it showed me like to really dig deep and what can I do? You know, everyone's in this situation. Everyone feels anxiety. Everyone feels the same things I'm feeling, you know, and I have to pivot just like everyone else. Now, beyond the obvious impact of saving lives in the shelter, Jenny says it strengthened the relationship between CACC and the rescue community. I mean, local groups have been buying the shelter staff lunch. A lot of the staff who've been at CACC have been there for a long time and were there when those relationships weren't so great. And there was a lot of animosity and they were called out for kind of being bad guys. And so now to get that kind of acknowledgement is, is really, it's essential, right? We got to keep working together and we got to trust each other and work well together. CACC has moved to manage intake and moved other services to appointment only. So they can stay open and be there as a true shelter for animals who need it. But it also allows them to provide services to help pet owners so surrendering isn't the only option. Let's be honest, when you've got 300 dogs and 150 cats and 15 roosters and 20 rabbits, you cannot keep up with that amount of animals. And so to have a, a manageable population and to be able to do a really good job and not to feel that someone's breathing down your neck all the time is just it's been a huge morale booster. Jenny says they've started a pet food bank and field officers are delivering to those who need it. And it's broadened horizons to some internally who may have had reservations about these types of programs and partnerships. They are now able to see the power of them. To be at 50 dogs right now for us is just unbelievable. I think we have 50 dogs, three cats, and five roosters right now. And one of the coolest things, even with a moratorium on volunteers, the number of animals means staff can truly interact with the animals as caregivers, not just holding on for dear life day after day. I don't think any of us who work there or volunteer there ever imagined it being that that empty. Jenny hopes the new normal will allow them to implement other things they've just not had the time to make happen so far, including a return to field program. To kick off the episode, you heard from Heather Owen, the executive director of One Tale at a Time Dog Rescue in Chicago. You heard about that mountain of foster applications they got. So how did they handle them? I talked to Heather to find out. So we started in 2008 from nothing. So it was a, a rescue organization geared at just helping dogs at first. And over the years, it, it, it 
just organically grew, which has been really nice. And so currently, 12 years later, we have 13 people on staff, um, an adoption center, a behavior and training center, an intake center. And these are all small buildings. So it's not, we're not like a huge conglomerate. We just, you know, small facilities with 10 to 15 kennels at each. And then we just opened our veterinary clinic a month ago. Good timing. I know. Yes. It's been great. <laughs> not the first person I've talked to uh, that's come across that issue, but hey, that's life. That's right. uh, speaking of life. So what, as this started to set in, it became clear that this was kind of what it is. What was the first move you know you made as executive director that one tail at a time made? Um, the first thing I did was I called my board, and I'm lucky that I have a really supportive, involved, great board, and said, "How help me keep my staff safe?" So we closed down our facilities, and most of our staff became work from home foster coordinators. And then the rest of them were basically like enclosed circuits where you know they have to do intake, they have to do vet care. Um, so I got relegated to working from my couch, which has been a bummer because I've missed all of the vet clinic stuff, but, um, yeah, we did that. We just made sure that we made people safe and we canceled our volunteer program, but we changed our foster program to make it easier for people to foster too. So we went basically from being, um, an organization that works through facilities to one that works totally remotely. And you had a foster program. How many animals in foster homes did you have before this? So on average before this, we always had about 150 animals in care and about 30 of those were in facilities and about 120 in fosters at any given time. And I know the answer to this, but I'm going to get you there. <laughs> so how many applications ordinarily would you see a month for fostering? I think like 100 would be cool, <laughs> but sometimes a little more, sometimes less. And as this kicked off over the space of how long, how many did you receive? So in the first like two weeks of our stay at home order, it was um, over 1500. And then I stopped counting because it was too overwhelming. <laughs> so you've got this huge outpouring of support, people wanting to help 1500 people. I mean, that is a lot. It's like unfathomable to me that you're, I mean, hopefully it's digital. So you don't have huge stacks yeah. of paper out your, out on your coffee table, but how do you then actually fill that, that need, that desire for support? Can you find 1500 animals in that sort of space of time? Like how would you even manage that? Um, so we couldn't find 1500 animals. Our local animal control usually has 300 animals and was down to like 50. So even if we took all of the animals there, we couldn't fill out the home. So we just um, decided on double what we usually do. That sounded like a fair increase without making everyone insane. Um, we had to make sure that like our veterinarian could see, we only have one vet and one vet tech. That's, that's our staff could see all these animals. So we were like, how do we not overwhelm everyone, but also, you know, kick it up a notch and, and do better. Cause we have to right now. So we doubled. And how's that going? Great. Like I, I'm ready to triple. I don't know that everyone in the organization is, but um, it's going really well. I think the nice thing about being a private organization is that you can build yourself so that you can adapt. So I know like not every municipal organization or city run shelter has that ability, but we can just like stop and change what we're doing on a dime. And it's based on what the community offers us and what the community needs from us. So if we have that many people that can foster and we have a need for that, then 
we're definitely going to take in more animals. But that's pretty fearless. I mean, there's a huge unknown facing all of us. Why? Why do it like that? It's brave, but some might say, I don't know. Is she kind of making some wild moves here, not knowing what's going to come down the pike? Why are you doing it in the way you're doing it? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's definitely not fearless. There's been plenty of fears associated with it. Um, I just like, I'm a firm believer in do what you can right now, because I don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. That doesn't mean we don't plan. I mean, we have money in the bank, we have reserves, we are like fundraising all the time so that if something like this happens, we can pivot and help. Um, so, you know, we're not saving animals with $0 in the bank or with no staff. We build ourselves up so that we can respond to these types of things, I guess. Um, but I mean, why have a nonprofit organization to rescue animals and then not rescue animals when it's needed most? You make that sound so easy. <laughs> it's easy when I have a, a great staff. And I think that that's part of what has allowed us to be able to do this is, my staff is is wonderful. Um, and one of the things I try to impart on them is like, if this job was easy, if doing this was easy, then everyone would do it because dogs and cats are fun and playing with them is fun. But like, this is not easy. This is this is tough stuff. And you have to have thick skin and be able to work hard to be successful. But that's what we owe the animals. Like if I'm going to collect donations for animals, then like I'm going to assemble the best crew that can save as many as possible. Speaking of collecting dollars, what are you doing fundraising wise? Um, so the first thing we did was we stopped fundraising, which I know a lot <laughs> of people on. are. <laughs> Heather. <laughs> um, but again, that's the thing I like about One Tail at a Time is we're not like constrained by any rules or any people in suits telling us what to do. And to me, it felt really, really bad to be asking our community that was suffering to give us money. Um, and that doesn't mean we weren't accepting people's money if they if they offered it, but it's just like we had to stop and say, okay, what can we do for our community right now? And so many of our supporters are not wealthy or are small businesses. So we turned and said, like, how can we help you? So we started supporting some of the small businesses that always supported us, like restaurants, and um, sharing what they were doing and, and their GoFundMes. And then we also started a little community fund for our people, our volunteers, our fosters, our adopters that maybe were out of work or struggling, um, and we can help them pay their bills for a month or two or something. So I don't that just is what felt right to us. I find that to be incredible. Uh, we often in this business, if you will, um, we, we are selfless in that we will give everything for the animals. The fact that your thought, that the organization's thought in that moment would be, how do we help others, is pretty wild. Um, yeah, I, I wish it wasn't as wild <laughs> as it is. I wish that that was sort of how everyone pivoted. Actually, I don't want to say that. That, that sounds crappy. Let's, <laughs> let's... No, I know, I know no. what you mean, though. I mean, it's, it's not what everybody would do. And I think that's part of what makes that special, although it should be. But I think it's just such a, it's part of what makes, like I say, you, you. It's part of what makes One Tail at a Time, the organization that it is, is just the way that you approach things and the way that you think about what we do. I just, it's not what others do by and large, and I, it should be, but I just don't think it's there yet. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, we have the luxury of being able to do what we Feel like doing right now because we have a supportive board and we're not constrained by a lot of rules. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I've been saying for since we started this is like, we're a community organization and that sounds really nice, but it's like, you have to also be a community organization. So to me, that that's what that means is, is supporting our community with whatever they need from us when we can. But you are fundraising, surely. I mean, you are asking for for money for the mission. And, and what is that strategy? I know a lot of organizations are having to cancel events. What is the next few weeks and months? What's that been looking like for you? Yeah, so after a couple of weeks, we, we sort of um, came together and said, okay, we can't double our intake and our costs and not fundraise. So what is this going to look like? Um, we are lucky in that our big spring fundraiser is virtual, basically virtual anyway. So it's called the sit-in for shelter dogs and it's, we would get together and just sit quietly with our dogs for 30 minutes and reflect on what animal welfare means to us and all of our dogs past and present and cats. I I say dogs all the time, but we're a cat rescue too now. So we're going to talk about that in a minute because you know, I'm a cat guy and I believe I've given you a hard time about this over the years, but we're going to get to that, but back to your events. Um, So yeah, it's just a time to reflect, but it's peer to peer fundraising. So it helps us be able to focus on like getting the word out on what we're doing and then asking our community to, to ask, their people. So peer-to-peer fundraising is probably one of, I think one of the best things we can be doing right now is because, you know, you're going to spread out who you reach, um, reach different people and hopefully get some new donors and get some people that want to support supporters of your organization. So that will be happening in June. And then we are going to play it by ear. That's that's my big plan, John, is we're playing it by ear. <laughs> I don't know what else you're supposed to do. I mean, you kind of looked at me there as if I was going to give you some advice, but I think I'm. we're all looking to people like you, Heather, to help us figure out what to do. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that we did is we, instead of um, aggressively asking or creatively asking or asking all the time, is we became really much more focused on our asks. Um, like, this is what we need right now from you guys. Um, We want to keep taking in double the amount of dogs. This is how much we need to raise. Can you help us with that? So um, that feels better to me than just like, hey, we want to save animals, give us some money. Um, So we've been very pointed on what we're asking, when we're asking, and how much we're asking for. The other thing that I think has helped us so much and allowed us to be able to pause is that a huge portion of our funding comes from our membership program. And our membership program is when people give 10 bucks a month. Um, and it comes out automatically. And like most people are thankfully in that position where they're not going to miss that $10 a month. So we have that promise of that money every month coming in. So we're able, we know we can afford this much in veterinary bills next month because we have those great members. And that average donation I think is like 16 bucks a month. So it's not huge stuff. Um, so we spread out our support amongst a lot of people, which makes it easier to take a hit when we take a hit. So back to cats, (laughs) the most important thing uh, always for me. Um, Your, the name of the organization is what, Heather? It's One Tail at a Time Dog Rescue. Oh, that's interesting. What have you just started rescuing? Uh, Cats, adult cats. How do you feel about that? (laughs) Um, I feel great about it. So a couple of years ago at a best friends conference, I saw one of Mark Peralta's um, sessions and in it, he said something that like rings in my ear every morning when I wake up now. Um, He said, you know, it's really not about what you want to do in rescue. It's about what's needed from you. 
So, you know, I could be, I, I would like to be a St. Bernard fluffy dog rescue, but that's not what is needed here in Chicago. So that's not what I do. Um, and a couple of years ago, it became really clear that like one of our most vulnerable populations was kittens. So we started rescuing kittens, um, bottle babies or like mush babies that were in the shelter that needed to get out now. Um, and we're really lucky that we have a lot of great cat shelters in the area. So they pick up most of the slack, but we were like, we'll be B team and take what you guys can't when you can't. So we've been doing that for a couple of years. Um, and now we just felt ready with all the foster homes and the vet clinic. And we have a new medical director. Her name is Stacy Price and she's wonderful. And she's a big cat advocate. So she said, can I save some cats? And I said, yes. So just to recap, what is the name of the organization on your 501c3 paperwork, please? Uh, one Tail at a Time Dog Rescue. And what does your logo say? One Tail at a Time Dog Rescue. When is that going to change? Um, ASAP. So it's funny, at the vet clinic, when you walk in, there's like a mural that says One Tail at a Time Dog Rescue. And I walked in and I was like, oh, we got to change that. So <laughs> that's coming. Well, who knows? Because uh, knowing you, if there's a need to rescue, like, I don't even know, man, mink in Chicago, you're going to be all over it. So I would be very careful about how you pick the name going forward. So it's a little more general, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, I'm asking everybody this, and I know it is a very difficult question. And I know you said we're going to play it by ear with things in the future, but do you have a sense of what the future may hold? Are you able to plan three, six months, a year? Like, what if the economy is as bad as we think it is? Are you thinking about that already? Like, give me your best kind of crystal ball. Um, so I think the good news is that we have told our community what it takes now to empty our shelters. And that's them opening up their homes and fostering. Um, that's also managed intake, um, which our shelter is doing right now for the first time. Um, and it's adoption. So we've set the stage here for our community to help us. And I, I don't, I think if we keep moving with that, then we can't go back on that. So I think that's the good news. Um, the bad news is probably that the economy is going to take a big hit. So I think that we have to focus on community support programs. So whether that's like the little funds that I was talking about helping our volunteers pay rent or if it's more shelter diversion programs and shelter support programs, community support programs, we got to invest in those. So if our shelters can't open up the way they used to, or we don't want them to open the way they used to, which I don't want them to, then like we have to figure out what are the other ways we can support our communities. So that's what I hope everyone is doing right now is, is thinking about that and putting plans in place for, for other ways to support pets. Yeah, this episode is about Chicago, and we're going to be profiling other communities as we go forward. And what I think is interesting about Chicago and is going to provide a lot of, I think, information or hope, whatever you want to call it, is you have a favorable elected body. You know, the mayor, Mayor Lightfoot, is a, a supporter of the shelter and that work that takes place in Chicago. Obviously, you have a really great community. There's good relationship with uh, CACC. So what happens in Chicago, I think, is going to be a lesson for everyone. What happens when we all work together? Because I'm sure we know that there are other communities that are still fragmented. So this lesson that we're able to see from you, I think, is just going to provide so much value. And the only reason you are where you are today as a community is organizations like yours and others. So I just want to say congratulations uh, and and thank you for the work that you do, because it's 
you know, as somebody who sits behind a microphone now, uh, it was already mind blowing to me, <laughs> but even more so now that you just wake up and say, uh, what else can I do today? Which is just, uh, like I say, it's just mind blowing. Yeah. Thank you. And I think, um, you know, yes, we're a lesson, but also like if we can do it, anyone can do it. Cause we have been through hell and back here and gone through every challenge and ring of fire there is. So if we're doing it, anyone can. Heather, thank you. Now go rescue mink or whatever, <laughs> whatever needs to be done. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. We'd like to congratulate all of the shelters, rescue organizations, volunteers, foster parents, everybody across the entire city of Chicago on their success. I'd like to thank my producers, Tawny Hammond, Amy Charlton, and Mark Peralta. The website, always bestfriends.org slash podcast. That's bestfriends.org slash podcast. And you can send us an email, podcast at bestfriends.org. How is your community doing? Podcast at bestfriends.org. Please take care of yourselves and each other and be safe. I'm John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.